what's up, Hope Hive community? I have my dad, of all dads, with me tonight. So, by popular demand, I have his brain in on topics to try to help us figure it out. I want to talk about generational cycle breaking, and I think my dad's been pretty good about breaking generational curses and cycles, so I wanted to get his take on what that is. Last time we talked about the fact that generational cycles um, are generations from you know zero to a hundred years of age. It can be childhood, young adulthood, adulthood, old age, and during that time we learn um, how to act, what we should do, what, how we should react to things, what we say. We develop a lot of things and then we carry it on to the next generation, our kids. And um, when we have bad things happen in our life, we tend to um, develop the same kind of behaviors. And when you recognize that that behavior is unhealthy is when you recognize that it needs to be changed. So I think my dad's a good person to talk about that. Um, he's done a lot of work on himself and he has, I think, broken multiple generational cycles and his parenting the way that he brought us up so i wanted to get his his take on what it was like when he was growing up and what he recognized as a kid that he wanted what like what was it that you wanted to change when you were a kid that you you said you know when i'm a parent i'm not gonna do this well i mean honestly i'm gonna say this but you would probably not necessarily agree but being present that my parents weren't present when I was growing up and at some point in time I realized that I wasn't present enough uh, I inherited the workaholic gene mm -hmm. which I still have to this day yeah but you at some, point, to provide. At some point at some point in time as you and your sister were growing up, I realized that I was in that cycle and I wanted to be more present. So that's when we got you guys into 4-H and horses and stuff like that. And I just made it a point that regardless of what was happening that day, I was going to be home to get you to practice two days a week and we were going to go to the competitions and stuff like that. So being present was was the thing that I wanted to change the most because like I said I didn't have parents growing up so your mom was a workaholic when you were right out. my dad was absent and my mom was a workaholic so so, so you was learned a strong thing. work ethic and I think you carry that on oh yeah I mean my value my, my self-worth comes from working if I if I don't work I, I feel worthless so I guess that's not necessarily healthy, but that's that's where my work ethic comes from. You're, you're of no value if you're not creating or performing of, of, in some way. Providing. Or providing. So yeah. I nailed it on the head in my last podcast. I felt like you were one of the things that you wanted to change when you were a parent was not that you didn't have a provider in your home, which your mom did work really hard, but you, I think you tweaked it a little bit so where you were a provider but then you were also present to be a part of like the yeah, horse yeah, stuff yeah you have to be both you have to be present and a provider i mean you can't 
be present all the time and be dependent on the government or whoever to to feed your children and and provide for your family that that you have to do both so there's a balance somewhere that you have to achieve but and I know there's a lot more with your childhood than you may want to talk about but I know for a fact like that's the easiest thing that you probably could have picked to talk about to say you know I wanted to change this oh I mean obviously the cycle of abuse needed to stop with me there was no way that I was going to tolerate anything happening to my children so um, but that's kind of a no-brainer I mean you as a father it's supposed to be bred into you to protect your child and unfortunately in today's world we don't always see that but that's supposed to be your main role uh, as the male in society I mean uh, I'm not liberal-minded where I believe that that it's a role that's easily filled by the female species it, it's genetics that that's what a man is supposed to do so mm -hmm. uh, I don't know that that because I would I did not have a father growing up I don't know that that was ever so you think because your dad wasn't around that the like you weren't protected as much as you would have been if he was Oh, I, I would say that's accurate, yeah. 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 There was no protector in my world. I was my protector. Did you ever feel like your mom chose men over her children? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. So, I mean, that's not my feeling. That's a fact. Yeah. So did, was that something that you carried on whenever you had kids? Where, and you know, like it bothered. When I had kids, I always said that they would come first. And I think, like, after mom, you know, after mom chose her boyfriend over her kids several times, it was like something ingrained in me that said, you know, never, they'll never come last. So you think that that's something that you brought into your parenting? Um,. I think it was there long before I became a parent. I, for all intents and purposes, raised my little sister, and nobody was going to be come before her. Even yeah, as we so were, you were a parent before you were a parent. Yeah, even as we, as her and I were growing up, I was going to make sure that she was taken care of before anything else. Uh, now, she would tell you, I think, that in later years. As I began to date or whatever and got into a serious relationship that she did not no longer carried that um, she thought you were like picking your girlfriend yeah, she never she no longer carried that importance to me which I don't ag agree with I see her point I can remember as a young man being very conflicted over this new love in my life and person who valued my time and stuff when at that time my sister didn't really because she was off doing her thing. So I can remember being conflicted on which one I was supposed to be loyal to. Okay, and, well, how and frankly, old were and frankly, you? frankly, they didn't get along at all. They were Your girlfriend arch, and her. arch enemies because they both wanted me and my time and yeah. they were in competition against each other. So 
How old were you at that oh, point? Oh, I was 21, probably. 20, 21. Do you ever, like, remember feeling mad at your mom for having to have that responsibility on your shoulders and not being able to be? No, because my mom was absent. So, she was off with the man who basically, well, later on in life became a stepfather. So, they were doing their thing. My sister was kind of running around with her high school friends and doing her thing. So, you weren't feeling like you had to take care of her anymore at that point? No, actually, I felt somewhat, I mean, in a short the short period before that I felt somewhat abandoned by my sister because it was always her and I and then all of a sudden she got into high school and had a bunch of friends and was a much more popular and was starting to date and stuff like that and I didn't have any of that in high school so the life that she was living was the life that the normal person lives but I just felt like I was alone in the world so until that first serious relationship came along, I had nobody. I was going yeah. around on my own. So when you were younger, though, she was younger. When you were having to like take care of her, right? Yeah, she's four years younger than me. So I mean, so. at any time from you know, because I remember some stories that you've told me from you know times where you felt like what I get from it or my perspective on it is that you were like her father role at very her young age I know you're four years apart oh I I definitely think that in her younger years I was her father figure I mean and you don't remember feeling resentment towards your mom ever for that not for being in that role no there were were lots of times that I was angry about my mom not being present or that you know, she was always working or whatever. And when I say not being present physically, she might have been there. Yeah. At times, but when she got home, she would, I mean, she worked three jobs. When she got home, and we all hit the couch. My mom was asleep within five minutes. We used to joke around about we would sit down to watch whatever TV show we were going to watch as a family. And my mom, we make we make popcorn, my mom's favorite meal. Um, <laughs> popcorn. And. and we, we would sit down with a bowl of popcorn and she'd be eating popcorn asleep because that's how tired she was. She'd literally yeah. have her eyes closed and her okay. hand in the popcorn bowl and within five minutes of Dukes of Hazard or and whatever. And your time together? Yeah, she was, she was out, so. Yeah, okay. I get that then because so I do she was, So she was physically present at times. Yeah, but just but not mentally, there. mentally she was, she was nowhere near there, you know. We went to church three three times a week, Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night. We were all together, but my mom had no clue what was going on in my life. When I wrestled in high school, my mom never made one practice, one match, one competition, or anything. I did all of that on my own. So you said, I'm going to be involved in my kids' sports oh, yeah. and be... Yeah, I mean from the time that you started midget cheerleaders or whatever, you know, you don't remember me being present. Oh, I remember you being at the competitions with the little shakers and the stands. Yeah, a lot of it, but I mean, I was there. And 
Was I invested 100%? No, because... You were at the competitions, yeah. Yeah, yeah I, was, I mean, I was present, but was I invested? I don't, I don't know. I mean, I don't, I don't put a lot of faith in these organized sports, so I didn't have them growing up, so I don't understand all of that, and I certainly don't understand the the soccer mom's mentality and stuff like that, the, you know, the way that people go at each other's throats over a, a game is ridiculous, but... Yeah. Well, what do you think that people who are in a position where they feel like, you know, they think that they got the short end of the stick when it comes to, like, parenting, their their parents parenting them, and then now their parents, but they, they know and recognize things that they want to do different than their mom and dad. How do, how do you think somebody should would go about doing that? I mean, it's hard. Well, it's like, hard. Nike, like Nike say, says, just do it. I mean, <laughs> you, you got to... You hear that, Nike? We're... We're ready for a sponsorship. <laughs> um, so, I mean, you just, if, you, if you recognize that there was a problem in your past that you don't want to repeat, you have to acknowledge the problem, figure out how you're going to not recreate the problem or repeat the problem. Yeah, but that's and, easy to say. That's easy to say and harder to do because you're well, sure, conditioned sure, but to... there's always challenges in your life. I mean... I feel like you're conditioned as you grow up, right? You grow up in a certain culture that your family creates. Like, this is the norm. This is, like, what everybody's used well, to. Well, yeah. Every, I mean, the millennials, get so a ba- get a, the millennials get a bad rap that everything is handed to them. And that, so, so they have expecta- unrealistic expectations. But who failed there? Was it them that failed as they were growing up? Or was it the people that raised them? That failed by giving yeah, them by giving them system. everything. I mean, the, yeah. you you are what so, what society creates. So, mm-hmm. if you if a millennial says, "Well, these are my expectations," who gave you those expectations? Yeah, they had to come from somewhere. You don't fabricate your own. Yeah. So, if if there's a problem with society today, uh, we have nobody to blame but the generation before. Yeah. Well, with generational cycles, I feel like, um, for me, I know for a fact when you're trying to change the way that things are, the way that you were parented, you didn't have a a dad in the home. Like, you had different, you know, step-parents or whatever you want to call them. But, I mean, until Bob, you really didn't have, like, a strong father figure in the home. So it was just your mom. Yeah, well, Bob was never in my home. Well, that's my stepdad. Uh, he was never in my home. My mom and... You already moved out. Yeah, I was already grown by the time my mom and Bob got that serious. So there were n- never any father figures in my in my home. I mean, from the time that I was in second grade, if I remember correctly, there was no male present. So where so. did you learn how to be a man? Do you ever remember a time like when you were trying to grow up and you were like, how do I do this? How am I supposed to be a man? How do I, what do oh, I? I remember lots of times like that. Um, kind of a funny story, I guess, when you think about it, but I really had no idea what role I was supposed to be in. So come seventh grade, in middle school you're supposed to select what your elective class is going to be and your, your choices come down to are you going to take home economics yeah and learn to cook and sew and yeah. stuff like that which of course all Did the girls you do take. the cooking and sewing and and my 
and or woodworking is the other one and at that time I had so much resentment towards my father for abandoning me I knew my father did a lot of woodworking and had a little oh, wood yeah. shop and stuff like that from being five years old and you know basically hanging on his coattails and seeing him do stuff I didn't want anything to do with woodworking at the time so the I was like well, I'm just gonna take home back and you were the you were the only guy in I was the house. only guy in that class so naturally Everybody thought, well, well no this, wonder this, he knows this guy may be gay. So, you know, he's the only boy taking and a And you gr- were tiny. Yeah, I was a skinny little shit. So, you know, this, uh. What the, did you have earrings? The, uh, not at that time. Not at that time. But naturally, everybody's like, this guy must be gay. And, you know, homosexuality was far from accepted at that time. So, oh, God. So, I, so I was right away an outcast, which was fine with me. I didn't fit in anywhere anyway. Yeah, you didn't care. But, uh. But I remember that they, they come to uh, time to talk about, uh, what do you call it, hygiene and stuff like that. So, of course, they're going to go into this big, long spiel about how you're supposed to take care of yourself when you're on your menstrual cycle and all In the homemaking class? Yeah. So, <laughs> what? So, I'm, I'm like, mm, How's that part of this, don't, this don't really apply to me, so. The only guy in the class. So, so then uh, <laughs> the teacher comes to me and she says, well, what are you going to do for your project? on this hygiene it was a project yeah we had to we all had to do this project and and what are you supposed to do basically they were talking you know the girls were talking about how to french braid their hair and stuff like that so she's like why don't you do shaving because that's something that no you know the girls have to shave their face you could do shaving so here i am i got one whisker hanging out of my chin and you know, a little bit, a little bit of peach fuzz on my lip, and I'm like, "Oh my god!" Well, I don't have the first clue how to shave this off. You know, and I'm like, "Who am I gonna?" Ask? Yeah, because your dad wasn't around. Yeah, I'm like, "Who am I gonna ask how to shave?" And I gotta write this, this one page report about how I'm supposed to shave and oh the steps god. that are involved. And bas- basically, it was about developing a recipe or whatever. I don't, I don't know how to do it. So, so I remember, and of course, there's no Google back then yeah, or anything like that. Yeah. Encyclopedias don't have a page that says how, to, how shave. to shave. So I remember thinking, I'm screwed. I don't know how I'm going to do this. So I ended up writing this big load of crap that, you know, <laughs> there couldn't have been one word of it that was true. I'm talking, <laughs> I'm talking about going this direction and that direction. And of course, you didn't I, ask anybody. No. But they're all fe- they're all females in this well, I class. Know, but the, like the a te- neighbor, who's gonna know I'm lying? Because they're they, yeah, they don't true. have a clue. That's true. So I'm go- I'm talking about going this direction and that direction and everything else, and they just think I'm a genius and I'm <laughs> bullshitting my way through this entire project. Did you have to I present got, it in front of the I class? Got, oh yeah, in front of the whole class. So I got an A on it. So, <laughs> yeah. so you just self-taught how to be a man. I don't think I ever really learned. <laughs> so, I mean, that, that's just one aspect. The rest of it is you just kind of do what you got to do to survive. So, For me, like, my big generational cycle breaker falls heavily on mom. Like, just, like, really, that's what I just, I don't want to be like her. I'm terrified that my kids will ever look at me like they look... Like, I look at her, and it's hard to, um, I feel like I try to not, you know, be really critical of my kids and be, I I remember when mom was nice, but I was really little, 
And I feel like the older I got, the more she didn't like me. And I don't know if that was even a me problem. It was probably more of a her problem the older I get. But when you're a kid, it feels like it's your problem, like it's your fault. And so knowing that, I'm trying to make sure that I don't, like, make my kids feel like they're not enough or not good enough or not comfortable in their own skin or whatever. And my oldest in particular, I feel like how sensitive he is, I wonder if there's something that I've done to make him feel that way, but I praise him all the time. So I don't know what I can do different than I already have. Um, I make sure that, I mean, like I said, mom was nice to me when I was little that I can remember for the most part. Like she was supportive and whatever I wanted to do. But when it like mattered, I feel like she fell short every time. Like I, but that's my perspective. I don't know what it was actually like. You know what I mean? Like how yeah, you can right. remember things a certain way. Right, right. I mean, it's always on perspective. But I mean, I think you came along in you know a very high stress environment uh, in her life. I'm not making excuses for her at all. Um, I don't want to say the words you weren't wanted because that's that couldn't be farther from the truth but you weren't my perspective you weren't made a priority at that time mm-hmm. you know she had nursing school to get through she was already raising another child and you know schedules were a nightmare and uh, she was trying to juggle multiple activities at once so I've told you dozens of times you hated me for your first I don't ever remember that your first well, couple years you were two years old and you're up to two years old and there's no way I hated you oh I couldn't touch you I couldn't <laughs> hold you I couldn't do anything without you crying and you know for the first six months of your life I think you spent on the couch propped up with nobody touching you which is what no baby should go through but that's the way you wanted it that's the only way you appeared to be happy um it was with nobody touching me <laughs> yeah you just, you just wanted to be left alone so to speak and uh, but i think and maybe i'm crazy but i think that you could feel the negative energy the tension so when people are holding you with the tension and the negative energy that they're putting off, how could you, how could a baby not pick that up? Yeah, you know, you're not hearing a soothing voice. You're not, you know, being talked to in that motherly tone. How can you not pick that up? So, and I hope I'm wrong. I hope that that really didn't influence you that way. Um, as you got older, I think your mom resented how strong you were you know as a young teenager or even before a young teenager you you had your mind made up what you were going to do and you had no problems following through on anything that you attempted and your mom was not a strong person still is not a strong person um so i think she resented that a little bit and like jealous a little i think bit. she 
you know, jealousy or just resented what a powerful person you were. Um, she was not happy, I think, with the way you came into the world. She was not happy with the relationship that her and I had. Um, and I think some of the, somewhat you symbolize that. And it's important for us not to carry that through to our kids. And then it only got worse because when it came time to, for the divorce, you made a solid choice that you were staying on the farm, you were staying with your horses. It really had nothing to do with me, but you were staying out on the farm with me instead of making the choice to go with her like your sister did. And I think that, and I could be wrong, like I said, it's all my perception, but I think that drove what could be a permanent wedge between you two. Um, that was another abandonment that, that she suffered in her life. She's had dozens of abandonment issues. Uh, I think that that's probably... Yeah, I never yeah. thought about it that way. Because I felt like when she left, I... You felt abandoned. Yeah. So you're like, my mom's leaving. Mm-hmm. But... I mean, so many times that we just look at the problems that we have with other people. We had zero communication as a family, like right. real communication. Right. Right. Absolutely. That was a big but problem. In, in any relationship you have, if you just stop when you're having a conflict, if you just stop and try to see it from the other side, even for a minute, you don't even have to acknowledge it, then you get a new perspective and you think, I can kind of understand why they feel this way you don't have to you don't agree have to accept it, it or, you don't have to agree yeah. with it you don't have to accept it right but just trying to understand their perspective mm-hmm. could maybe help you to it does get past it does past it. because so. it doesn't hurt, it doesn't feel so personal right if you can like try to understand why you know that's i think that's why i i feel bad for her well, and same thing with my mother. When we talked about my mother and her being absent in my life, you know, it took me a long time to realize, hey, my mom's sick. Mm-hmm. And right, yeah. If she wasn't sick, this would be a lot harder for me to accept. But, mm-hmm. but knowing that she's sick and that this is why she makes the choices that she makes is makes it so it's not me. Because yeah. prior to that, I thought the way most kids do, if my mom doesn't want to be around me, there must be something wrong with me. Yeah. And that's not the case at all. But Yeah, like she was trying the best that she could. That's where I struggle no, with I mom. Would, I wouldn't go that far. I mean, yeah, because that's where I struggle because I feel like mom knew better, but she chose not to do better. Does that make sense? She knew better, even from her own yeah. experiences. You know what it feels like. But she didn't choose to do better, and it just got worse and worse. Yeah, I mean, I, she she knew better. I mean, I'm not gonna make like I said, I'm not gonna make excuses for her. She she definitely knew better. She knew what the answer was, but she chose to not get the help that she needed. So yeah, I remember several times going to the counselors and stuff, and sitting in the waiting room. But now, like. I've chosen not to have a relationship with her now because I've tried so many times to have a good relationship with her and it's so toxic and negative. She attacks me all the time and really sticks up for my sister. Like she's got her back 
always, no matter what she does. And I just, I can't, I can't deal with it. Well, then there again, I mean, I think it's perspective. I think it is my perspective because that's my it, learned I experience. I don't think that everybody would agree with you. I think that there are people out there who would say how much she loves you and how much she talks good about you and everything else. And I think I think that's just for that, her looks, though. Yeah, but I'm talking about people who would actually be honest with you. I, I, you know, people are not, not going to blow smoke up your ass, but people that are going to be honest with you I mean she's got problems but I believe she she still loves you I mean, yeah I think she does too I just think that she can't I think there's she, something she about me she that finally she... found she finally found something to take a stand on in her life and unfortunately you're it <laughs> that's how I feel so that's how I know, feel she knows what a strong person you are and she's just not going to give in to you. Mm-hmm. So the only way that you're ever going to have a relationship with her is if you give in, give in and I'm not going and to, and you're not going to. Yeah. So eventually that may soften. Yeah. So there, it, so how do I keep as, as you this... watch, as you watch your mother grow old and become more feeble, mm-hmm. which she will, cause she has health, health problems. Yeah. Your caring, nurturing side is going to come out, and my you know my grandma. My grandma was was negative and bitter towards everybody. I mean, she was a bitch. Mm-hmm. Um, she didn't hardly have a good word to say to anybody, and most of my family couldn't stand to be around her. Yeah, nobody she could was understand. Nobody scary. could understand how I could stand to be around her because she was equally negative towards me. Again, I just had to accept she's sick you know she has she has a mental problem you just didn't take it personally I'm, I'm just not going to take it personal and I'm going to try to deflect some of what was being directed towards my children to me or deflect it to somebody else and you know I have to maintain a relationship with her now eventually I chose for the last few years that she was alive to not have a relationship with her because there was nothing left. Yeah, she wasn't so, there anymore. Right. So, and I decided I was just had reached my limit. Do you but feel like I do regret that? Yeah, I know that sucks because that's really the time that I mean, but she wasn't there. She has. I remember talking to Wendy about it, and she said that she couldn't get her into a nursing home because she was physically fine, mentally just you know not there at all. Yeah. But with my kids my fear is that they'll look at me and feel the the way like about me that i do my mom so do you see like patterns that were where we're similar in any way that i can tweak and change so that they don't feel that way no and i don't see any patterns that are repeating and you acknowledge that you have issues and you're watching for these patterns to develop and you're watching these issues so you're not going to allow it to happen yeah so yeah i think the, that's the my pattern issue. only repeats if you acknowledge it and choose to repeat it or you refuse to acknowledge it that yeah so that's the only way it can happen um 
and you're well aware of it and refuse to allow it to repeat so you're on the right path okay because I feel like my strongest thing with mom is that she refuses to acknowledge anything at all at all um, one thing get her into <laughs> get her into a quiet room and a little bit of a stupor and she probably a padded probably, room like a quiet room with a little bit of a stupor and she might confess a lot of things so with generational cycle there's there's a lot of work to be done um i think that it's a choice that you choose to make um and i think that you have to literally wake up every single day and choose that choice over and over and over again because like i said it is something that you're conditioned to carry on because you grew up in the culture. That was what you grew up in. That's what you're used to, the way that you talk to people, interact with people, react to situations, um, you know, what you even do for holidays, family holidays. Like we didn't have big family growing up. Our family was way out of town, so we didn't have that. And I think that's something different. Not that it's a generational curse or anything. We just didn't have anybody that lived by us. but. I really think that if you're choosing to try to be different for your children, it's really important because it's, like I said in my last podcast, it's important to have good parents. And as you become an adult and you think back on your childhood, you start to see your parents as human beings instead of like, you know, you're my dad, but I also see you as a person now. And I see you as a person who's been through things and who has learned things and changed. And um, I think that's a blessing as you get older. And I think if you keep that door open and you keep the door open for the relationship, that it's possible. Because you and I, we went out of bad, (laughs) didn't we, when I was a teenager? Bad, bad. And we're close now. But it's because we've done a lot of work and I had a lot of conversations so I think you know if you have a parent that you're struggling with to have a relationship as you start out as a child the number one thing that children need from a very early age on is stability yeah routine a person a a child Blake's age eight, eight years old or even younger they need to know that you're present and not just present in a physical way but present in a mental way and when they don't have that is is when things start going bad mm-hmm. um so they feel like they're nothing they get the they get a sense of abandonment they get a, you know separation anxiety uh afraid their parents aren't going to come home afraid their parents aren't going to be present in their lives afraid they're dead they, somewhere yeah i mean they're gonna then they develop into irrational fears of dying or of their parents dying or whatever. So they have to have stability. And if they don't have that stability, it starts manifesting in other places. So I think as it goes, as you get older and it goes on, that I'm trying to circle this back around to where I wanted it to be, but the reason that you're in our relationship got better 
was the stability. I, I am who I was 10 years ago when you and I were fighting like cats and dogs. I'm still saying the same things that I was then. It's just now you find value in them when at 15, 16 years old in your rebellious streak, you found no value in my opinion. Well, I think you lost your delivery is a little bit different too. Oh, well, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, when you're when you're raising a child, there there's a point where you you have to transition from you're going to do it my way. And that's yeah, the that's end of the, the story. That's the crap I hated. Right. That's the end <laughs> of the story. You're going to do it my way. I don't have to tell you why you're going to do it my way, but you're going to do it my way. Yeah. As you parent, sometimes you have to and I would say it's different for everybody, but at some point in time, you have to transition from that mentality to, listen, this is why I want you to do it this way. It will help you a lot if you just do it this way, that type of thing. Why not start out with that? Because I don't think, well, there's, there's several reasons. One, I don't think that most children will understand it. They don't care. They don't care why they can't have ice cream at 7 o'clock in the morning. They just need to be told that they can't. But there's the other side of it that you are in constant defensive mode for your child. And sometimes, as a child, they need to react quickly in reverse of whatever they're doing. If they're reaching for a hot pan on the stove, they need to stop immediately and do an about face and get away from that hot. So you, you just tell them. No, you're not going to touch that. And I, th I think sometimes you can't get past that. So everything is urgent to you as a parent. Yeah, you must listen parent to me. You must listen to me now. So and, what about connecting to even your teenagers on a more like well, peer? Not your, you know, you're parenting them, but as you're, you, as you get into teenage years, you had, you're, you're starting to make that transition. But the problem is. And it's probably different with everybody, but the problem is if you don't get it before they become the rebellious teenager where they don't want to listen to everything you say, they're never going to understand or care what you have to say as far as, as my mom says to do it this way because it's going to be better for me. Well, my mom doesn't know crap about the internet. She didn't grow up with the internet or whatever, you know, whatever the subject is. My mom didn't live in these days. She doesn't know what it's like. And that's been going on for hundreds of years. Mm -hmm. you know, each generation says, well, they don't know what this was like because they didn't have to deal with it. That cycle just repeats itself. Yeah. You know, back in the day, they say, well, my mom doesn't know what it's like to drive on the road because she rode a horse to everywhere she mm -hmm. went or had to walk. And you know, so. I went back to the well and I started the coal fire. Yeah. I'm like, so, oh my gosh. But, so there, like I said, there has to be a transition where you change that parenting style. But I think a lot of people miss that window of opportunity. And by then the damage is already done. Mm -hmm. the, the teenager has already become rebellious to whatever the mother or father has to say. And they're not open to hearing their side of it. It's too late for that. It takes a lot of work on both parts to maintain that relationship and get through that. And I, I'd say that most relationships aren't going to survive that. So I just saw like so many when I was a kid growing up, and my friends that I had, I saw literally generational cycles repeating themselves. The parents were 
drinking and smoking weed with their kids. And when you're a kid, you're like, oh, these parents are pretty cool. Oh, these parents are cool, yeah. Yeah, oh, that's cool. We can hang out over here and do whatever we want. Yeah. Oh, my dad gave me a curfew at 9.30 p.m. I was the only one with a curfew. The only one. Out of all my friends. Yep. And, you know, like, as I got to the, towards the end of high school, I was like, I don't want to be, you know, so-and-so's parents in 10 years. Well, I mean, another word for general, generational uh, cycles is family traditions. So, mm-hmm. so I mean, it's just, they can be good or bad. You yeah. know, the, the family tradition is go to a family reunion and get drunk off your ass and fall down the creek. That's what we do every year. So, how do, how, do, how do we know any different? <laughs> you know. Um, if it's once a year, we can do it. <laughs> That's right. So, uh, but you know, some people they was they were doing it every weekend. Yeah. So, but some things you want to repeat. Some things you're better off not to repeat. Uh, obviously, the abuse cycle is one that's not intentionally carried out, carried on from generation to generation. I would hope. Yeah, I think that's one that's not. There are sick people in the world that. I would carry like that, to carry talk that to tradition you on and, and on purpose, but about like because you've just had so many different experiences. Like obviously, we're almost done with this one, but just being able to talk to you about what some of the things that happened, what it did to you, and how you got through it, through it, and maybe not all the way past it, but past it enough to be. You're a successful grown man that ha- has lots of people that you care about and that respect you when it could have easily gone the other way. So that's like my, I want to pick your brain on that stuff. Because there's probably a lot of people out there who have had the same experiences and they're lost and they don't know how to get out. So if you're ever comfortable talking about it. I think it would be nice for yeah, I mean, some that's people like to hear. A, that's like a five-hour-long podcast. <laughs> um, it had to be broke up into segments. Yeah, segments. We'll, I mean, we could break I it up. I can tell you that there's... I was abused as a child. I was neglected as a child. I was neglected and abused as a child in different relationships. Um, I... Uh, I can tell you that there was a point in my life where it was very evident that that cycle was going to continue. That it was easily within my realm to become the abuser. Mm-hmm. Um, I can remember a point in my life where I just said this is not going to continue I am not going to have these thoughts I am not going to take these actions Um, and it was a struggle for a long time Um, not decades but years Mm -hmm. until I would not lash out, and my first instinct wasn't to backhand somebody or knock somebody to the ground or whatever. 
Um, what do you think it was that helped you get through it? Like there had to have been something. I don't know that. I'm Even through. if it was yourself. I don't. I don't know that I'm through it. I think it's. It's something that you work on every day, probably. Yeah. I think it's something. That's the shit that's awful. Is that when shitty things happen to kids, they literally deal with it for the rest of their life. Yeah, yeah. I and can. Te- I can fair. tell you that. There's a reason people don't tell their story. Um, I can tell you that, that as I got older and I've been through counselor after counselor and stuff like that, and you think that when you get close to a friend or girlfriend or boyfriend or whatever, that you can tell them your deepest, darkest secrets and mm-hmm. they'll just love you anyway. And I can tell you that I've had closest friends that I would swear would do anything for me and I would do anything for them that is the minute they heard my story they turned and ran the other way and I didn't hear from them ever again mm-hmm. um, and that hurts yeah that feels so, like a total abandonment or rejection yeah I mean this is a this is somebody you're supposed to be able to share your you know your soul with yeah and, and that happens and the a min- lot and the minute you say hey I had this happen to me and I struggle with with issues from it and every once in a while I need to talk about it and they turn around and say nice to see you but I don't ever want my kids around you I don't ever want my wife around you bye and yeah. you don't hear from me again so so then you're you're left, you're left with your own and that's not fair because it's not like you asked for any to deal of that with, so yeah that's why this is so important. That's I why think, this I is... I think probably six months ago, maybe a year ago, I told you, well, number one, I failed you as a father because I did not instill in you one thing that my mother instilled in me, which was a faith that there is a God, that there is a higher power, whatever you want to call them, um, and that that you can have a relationship with God. I failed to bring you up in that environment. And frankly, that's what got me through my life because if I didn't know there was an ultimate power that I have to answer to at some point in time, I probably would have went down a different path. Mm-hmm. But knowing that I had my God to lean on in bad times and to call on for uh, encouragement, power, whatever you want to call it, got me through a lot of stuff that I wouldn't have got through otherwise. Got me through temptations that I wouldn't have got through otherwise. So, I mean, your friends, they're never going to fill that role and your parents are never going to fill that role uh, if someone's so, trying so to change their life right now and change who they are for the better, would that be your advice? Like, you know, have yeah. somebody to answer I mean, to. I, like I told you, like I was saying, I think I told you six months a year ago, I don't know how anybody survives this world without a deep personal relationship with their creator. 
whoever you decide that creator is, whoever you decide that higher power is, I'm not going to tell you that I would support Buddhism or anything else, but it, nobody can survive in this world without a relationship with their creator. So, yeah, I would encourage anybody listening that if you don't have that type of relationship, that you at least look into it because... Yeah, because you remember when I, you and I had our arguments about it oh, yeah, yeah. for years. Yeah, I mean, Papal Charlie didn't do you any favors <laughs> by telling you that there was no God, and that evolution was the name of the game and everything else. But well, the, yeah, and I then mean, you look back, sit there again, look back at Charlie's life and analyze it. What was his perspective? His mother raised him in church mm-hmm. devoutly. Something turned him against that. It wasn't all of a sudden he just woke up and said, oh, Darwin was right. All this other you know, hokey crap that the church has been telling me for years is wrong. Darwin was 100% right. You could read 100 encyclopedias. Nothing in your mind is going to convince you overnight that that's what happened. See, I didn't get to happened. know that part of him. Because well, I was like I don't, I don't think anybody did. I mean, yeah. that, was, that, was, that was not something that he'd like to talk about. So, Guys, I could talk. I mean, I could just crack my dad's brain open like a coconut and get all this wonderful information out of him. I'm going to come up with a plan, guys, because I feel like he's a wealth of information. I mean, I could talk for hours, honestly, but um, we'll wrap up because we've been 49. We're going strong 49 minutes. <laughs> We're going to wrap up with, uh, you know... <laughs> If, it, if you are in a family that, frankly, just sucks ass and you are so sick of, you know, you think the way that you were parented sucks and that you want to do something different, you can do something different. But also remember that your parents are people, too. The older you get, you're, the more you're going to realize that. Um, and just have an open heart and be open to forgiveness and acceptance and grace and but also at the same time remember that you have to respect yourself and your own boundaries and be your own advocate and a lot of times people aren't going to like that but the people who really care about you and love you are going to be okay with it so don't be afraid to be yourself i'm going to have my dad jump in on these podcasts with me um, because he is somebody who I bounce ideas off of uh, on a daily basis. So my sounding board, my guiding light, I want him in on this to help us. And as always, reach out to me if you have any um, stories that you want to share. Any last words? Thank you. All right.